You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Greg, and I'm taking a shot in the dark, but Rotorsheimer. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty good. Uh, I had to learn the whole alphabet, you know, when I was in kindergarten, just to make sure I could spell my name. It was a, it was a disaster when you couldn't just put R on the piece of paper, and you had to actually put the whole last name. Like the SATs, I, I think I only got, I don't know, 10 letters in, something like that. Dude, I feel you, man. I remember my teacher used to she uh, ended up punishing the whole class for, I guess we acted bad during a substitute. And of course I was the one that was mostly to blame. I just kind of involved the class with all my actions and she made us write our first and last name out. So I'm Robert Robertson. So spelling that out a hundred times over and over and over again. And just to be like a jerk, she was like, and why don't you throw your middle name in? I'm like, ha jokes on you. I don't even know how to spell my middle name. <laughs> or if you just keep doing it on the same line with Robert Robertson, maybe she'll get confused about how many times you put it together. So <laughs> just make her count extra times. I feel like Bart Simpson trying to write, I will not throw poop after class. I will not write all over on the chalkboard. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and what do you do professionally? Sure. Um, again, my name is Greg. I am 30-something. Uh, I'm married. I have two kids, ages three and five. I live in Virginia, so I'm not too, too far from where you are. And um, I've been in the health insurance world for about 15 years, bounce around different things there. Um, most recently doing Medicare, Medicaid operations. And I, I dabble in the data analytics part of it. So I'm a liaison between the people that you would hear when you call the health insurers. Oh God, please get me medical insurance, dude. I've been trying, <laughs> I've been trying to get it like the past month. Cause I just haven't had it in forever. I was like, yeah, if shit breaks, whatever. And then I'm like noticing, I'm like, maybe I actually need this. And like, well, it's not going to work until January. It's got your Medicaid or whatever is going to take effect. I'm like, yeah. can I just get my old thing renewed? They're like, no, you make too much money for it. I'm like, okay. All right. So I have to wait till January to get my new medical insurance. They're like, yeah. And I was like, what do I do if I get hurt before January? And the guy just gives me the best advice. He goes, don't get fucking hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, priceless. Well, we, uh, I just did an episode with a buddy of mine who's been in the industry even longer than me. And when we're going through some scenarios, even for us that have been in this for you know, 15, 20 years, it's like, it, it gets confusing even for us. So for the general population to understand some of those rules, like for example, yeah, if, you don't, if you're not covered and you have to go to the emergency room, what can you do with that bill? How's it going to potentially wreck your credit, et cetera, et cetera? It's um, challenging to say the least. So it's just uh, difficult for like normal people to kind of understand. It's like trying to do your taxes when you're like 12 years old. Like you don't know shit. You don't know what's going on. You don't even know what taxes are. You just know it gets taken out of like a check that you get. And it's like, I'm looking at, uh, like when I was setting up and he was trying to give me a plan and everything, and he was giving me all these options. I'm sitting there and I'm like, can you tell me what I'm good qualified for that works with my old plan? And he goes, let me put you on hold. Yo, this guy, <laughs> their hold was the best hold I have ever been on in my entire life because usually the music is crap. And this thing had a beat to it, yo. It was like a studio like something that post Malone would make. I was like, Oh shit. And like, he got off hold and I was like, what's up, man. He goes, sorry for making you wait. I was like, dude, that beat was fire. Like, cause he sounded like he was my age. So I was like, all right, might as well like vibe with him a little bit. And he was like, yeah, he goes, thanks man. I, I tried to pick a good one for you. I was like, Oh, thank God. Cause that was I mean, half the time you get stuck with elevator music when you don't want to be stuck with elevator music. Uh, was he actually in control of the whole music? I'm surprised he even knew what was playing. He had a couple options on his phone. He was telling me about like one, like the buttons, like one, two, three, and four gives a different song. Oh, okay. Well, that's so, a lot more control than I would have thought. That I, was I, with Maryland Health Insurance. So I was like, I was pretty, I was just like, I'm interested, but at the same time, I kind of want to fix if there is something wrong with me. I want to kind of get this, uh, medical uh, loaded up as fast as possible and it's uh, difficult yeah. dude like i mean for a normal person to understand that who's not involved in it like they just sign away it's like when you agree to terms uh, and or terms and services like you're just clicking accept and getting straight to the thing you don't actually read it yeah for sure especially when you're talking about the medicare and medicaid with the amount of 
forms, everything in the government is going to have a whole lot of paperwork. And then once you get that card, it's like, all right, what does this do for me now? So even when you are covered, some of the specifics about what you're going to be paying for is uh, unclear to say the least. I will say for um, the whole music, the best I ever heard, and this was on a particular business call, was Send in the Clowns was the song I played. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that, that sums everything up pretty pretty well as far as uh, the ins and outs of what's going on with stuff. And the other interesting thing with Medicare and Medicaid together, it's like the only thing worse than one program like this is adding two of them together and the amount of rules that you actually have to comply with and understand what's going on gets to be quite a bit. Actually, what I found to be a good uh, therapy was the state runs Medicaid and the, the feds run Medicare. And when they had to integrate their rules, like we'd be on calls when they're sort of putting the finger at each other. <laughs> it's like, all right, good. Well, even you guys don't know what exactly all the ins and outs are. So it makes me feel better, you know, when trying to, you know, untie all the different webs and, and who pays what and whatever's going on. So uh, it's good mental gymnastics and getting into some of the data pieces. And, you know, when you hear about big data and active data, it's sort of interesting to have a front front row seat for that um, claims data that comes in and trying to predict you know, who's more at risk for certain injuries, certain sicknesses, stuff like that. Um, I think it's difficult. Like, I just, when it comes to medical, it just seems like, oh, they take it automatically. You never have to worry about it. Like, I always wondered, I was like, wait a minute, why am I getting a $50 charge on Medicaid? And I don't even have medical insurance. And my work is just like, that's just what they do. I'm like, well, fucking A, you know what I could buy with, you know how many Hot Pockets I can buy with $50? And like, maybe that's why you need health insurance in the first place. I'm like, don't judge me. Right. Uh, yeah, that's depending on how many hot pockets you have, you might be using that, that insurance a little bit later anyway. But, you know, there's a lot of that, not just in the health insurance world, but the amount of stuff that comes out of your paycheck, um, you sort of out of sight, out of mind, right? So you only know what the amount that's coming into your bank account. And I don't know, what do you think? maybe once a month, maybe a couple times a year, you're looking to see where the rest of that money's going. And when you see it, it's like, man. I could have a little bit more of my paycheck. That'd be that'd be kind of nice. Are like, they with, taking uh, Are they taking out thirty dollars for the air? What is the is there a price on air now? <laughs> it's it's hard to say. Uh, what what exactly we're uh, using using all of our benefits for? So uh, it, it's good to look at. And that's that's like I said, I, I'd even just done a, a podcast with a buddy of mine talking about these flexible spending accounts, and I'm not sure how much people even know to use things like that. And at least it's pre tax money, so you know, you're, you're not having it go right to the feds or to your state. And it's stuff that you can actually spend directly on um, your medical expenses, should you so choose. But I mean, that's, that's a program that I think a lot of people don't even know about. So um, it, it's worth looking into if people have time in their hands. So um, I want I want to kind of bring up a thing here. Now, is it with medical insurance, like the agencies and stuff? Are they really just trying to sell you something they're not really trying to give you the best one for you they're more looking at like what's going to make them money and like do they get commission on what they give or sell off as insurance like a hit a certain amount of numbers in a day like i know gamestop the reason why they always ask you about pre-orders and all these things that you could be putting money into that helps with them and that actually links to how many hours they'll get at their job yeah it depends who it is Uh, so if it's medicaid there's not really that kind of a kickback because it's all pretty much with the state. And these are folks that uh, in most cases aren't really paying in any way that's subsidized in some way from the state. That's overarching. There are different levels. Medicare is probably the closest to that because you would have a broker actually come to your house and present certain options that they are licensed to present to you. They do have to go through federal training that says they will present the best options for you and and put the things in front of you. But the caveat for them is they're not going to be able to tell you if the best for you is paying, let's say $100 for your premium that has lower copays and lower pharmacy rates and so on, versus if you're willing to roll the dice and pay a $50 policy, but it has higher copays and um, not as good pharmacy that they would say is up to you depending on how much risk you're willing to take and then they do get a kickback on those policies that uh, they do sell and then you know, for people that have it through their employer groups they get sold between the two companies so there's a kickback certainly for the uh, account manager that is part of your employer group 
Um, but you know, us as the end consumer, it, it's no different. They, they try to estimate, you know, how many people are going to hit which types of policies and what their risk is for the claims from there. Um, but, but as far as the money changing hands, it's already happened when an employer group to insure. Now, coming from the employee aspect, what do you see as kind of one of the biggest problems in the medical, in at least insurance industry? I think it's every one of the entities that you always hear about in the news. So I, I feel like the big three, and of course, depending on who you ask, everybody will say a different entity is the villain. You've got your pharmaceutical companies, you've got your health insurers, and you've got your providers. Typically, what you point to is like the big hospital systems, right, with all these administrative folks, and that's what you get into you know, the CEO's salary is, you know, this, however many millions of dollars, or again, in the health insurance world, you know, you sort of cringe when you see a CEO of like United Healthcare or Aetna or the really, really big ones, you know, making all these millions of dollars, you know, even above like other industries, you know, that are out there. Um, and then of course, on the pharmaceutical side, um, for example, I'm going to forget the drug name, but I'm from Pittsburgh and, and right outside of there, there was uh, a certain diabetic drug that they just jacked up the price um, because they could <laughs> and uh, there were protests and uh, luckily it did eventually come down in price but that that's sort of the third leg of it so i think it's a, just like anything it's a combination of all three um, not really coming together to get a, an option that is suitable and then you know us you strike you strike me more as a man of the people like someone that's going to help somebody who's really struggling trying to understand insurance because like i mean it is a sketchy kind of topic to get to understand i mean there's a lot of ins and outs to it a lot mm -hmm. of like kind of pathways through it that seem like there's always something under the under the lines like when you go to burger king and you're like oh it's buy one get one free and they're like did you read this and they pull out a magnifying glass and check right. the very bottom it's like after every third hundredth burger it's like damn yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah i tend to be maybe i'm too financially aware but i treat healthcare just like yeah like a decision of whether or not you're getting your money's worth um when you're going out to eat or something now obviously when people are dealing with their health it's more emotional than what am i going to eat for lunch but if you can try to take that emotion out of it and say all right again what are the dollars here where can i you know save money and again acknowledge when, when you can use the the pharmacy side to your advantage for example um and if you know what good rx is but uh you have like a high copay you can go to their website and they have negotiated rates that are significantly lower than you because you know, it's like that's something you can use on that side that, that people have going on um there's other benefits on the health insurance side uh, here's one we just talked about um with with a buddy of mine that if you were in the hospital and you have like an anesthesiologist come in, it's possible the way that they bill that um, they could be out of network with you. And of course, you know, who's going to be sitting in a hospital bed? And the first thing you're going to ask somebody when they come in is, oh, are you participating with the health plan that I have? The answer is nobody, right? So try to let people know that when that happens, like you're not the first person that's happened to you. So you can actually go to the health insurer and let them know, like, hey, I didn't proactively go see this person that you've now denied my do something to make sure that it gets paid um, and then have that happen. And on the provider side, um, ironically, my wife is a doctor. So uh, I joke all the time, like, oh, okay, so you just married the enemy. Um, but being very aware of some of the administrative costs. And that, that's sort of where our worlds um, cross over because I see the claims on the health insurance side, they do over the government programs. And she doesn't deal with that at all. It's they have to hire additional administrative folks to comply with those. Um, regulations, especially for the Medicare's and Medicaid's, and to employ those people cost money. So I think if you look at it from that standpoint of it is a business, again, even though you tend to get very emotional about health and you just want to get the right coverage uh, and the right service you need, especially if you're sick, um, it, it makes it a little bit easier to, to navigate the water. So so yeah, trying to trying to be the man of the people, it's a good way to say it and, and making sure people have the tools to I definitely think it's a little bit weird when you start to, you know, like if you find out doctors take different insurances, like you're in the same mm -hmm. hospital and you have to go to two separate doctors, you have to go to a whole nother hospital to get that doctor because your anesthesiologist or gastroenterologist or cardiologist doesn't accept your specific insurance. You have to go all the way across town to a completely different place. 
And I think that creates more of a hassle. You know what I mean? Like people are already kind of in a vulnerable state, especially if you're in the hospital. And then right. when you're, you're trying to make sure that you're covered for life, first of all, like you want to make sure that if anything does happen to you in the inevitable scenario, knock on wood. But when that does arise that you have an a way to fix it. You know, it's like dealing like with cars. You want to have car insurance in case something bad happens. You get in a situation, you want to have that safety net there. You know, I, I, I had my chance with the medical industry. I'm not a fan of it. Um, I was part of a case. I don't know if you heard about it. Um, I think it happened. To, uh, this is about three or four years back, maybe three years back. Uh, the giant thing with John Hopkins uh maybe john johns hopkins comes up a lot in, yeah. in, just in general so in what specifically i got a letter in the mail telling me i could sue john hopkins for male practice because the uh, person that apparently did the blood testing on me they lost 17 vials of my blood okay um, i don't know how the fuck you lose 17 <laughs> vials but yeah. apparently the guy was trying to run my insurance through the ringer one of the mm -hmm. doctors there and he was doing all these tests and things that weren't necessary. And he was like, Oh, we lost. You have to come back in for more testing, which is going to be more money from my insurance policy. Mm -hmm. And I like, I just stopped because they didn't contact me for eight months. So I just stopped everything. I was like, I'm done doing all this. So I got a letter in the mail telling me I could sue for male practice. I read it. I was like me going against John Hopkins. Yeah. Fuck that. Ripped it up. Threw away. I was like, I just want this out of my life. I haven't got a bill for it. It says zero dollars. I'm good. And then it just happened to me recently. I think it was like two months ago. I got another letter in the mail and I'm like, damn, it's been three years since this incident. I'm like, this is why I don't have medical insurance because you can't trust anybody. And the next thing I know, I call them I'm like, look, what's going on? Am I getting mm -hmm. sued? Is something happening? They're like, no, you've been reported out of one out of 160 cases that have been discovered, still so many left undiscovered, where these people were trying to run your insurance through the ringer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so what, what do you want? What do I do? They're like, well, you have a lawsuit on your hands if you want to go through with it. I'm like, like I said three years ago, me versus John Hopkins, fuck that. And I hung up on the person. I never got another message back from them. Yeah, and you, the, unfortunately, there can be those types of billing issues. Going back to the administrative part, um, you know, on the insurance side, there's absolutely fraud, waste, and abuse departments that are looking for those types of issues. Either something that bubbles up to being that high level, um, or even just day to day, are they billing what they're supposed to be billing? Are they contracted to do what they are doing? Um, and then there's follow-ups, you know, for all of those things. And, and again, that's on both sides that um, the providers have to have certain administrative folks that understand their contracts and what they're allowed to do and not do um, so that you don't have those issues. So uh, even just being able to follow that kind of stuff uh, costs bodies and costs money to, to employ those bodies to, to get these things. Right? I think it makes it difficult really when you're trying just to like, you want to, you join a hospital you join the medical industry because you want to originally intent of helping mm -hmm. people that's kind of the whole thing yep. having the hospitality and humanistic side to you but that gets yeah. lost when money becomes more important uh, yeah for sure I, the most recent thing for me this was probably about three years ago i had a procedure done at a local hospital here and i called my insurance as well as the provider no less than three times to try to figure out how much it was going to cost because i had some money in my flexible spending account so it was uh, you know use it or lose it money if i didn't use it by the end of the year so i just wanted to make sure it was relatively within range of what i had in that account and one time i called they estimated like 500 the next time i called they estimated somewhere like 3,000. um and i think ultimately it was somewhere completely in the middle but that's a pretty big range right if i told you oh between 500 and 3,000, and i'm a plumber you're gonna look at me like i'm nuts right um and, and these are people that have these contracts right in front of them that, that even have trouble in interpreting them themselves. So how is the consumer really going to have any idea of what they have? And of course, the other big complaint that you read about there is anybody else, you've got a menu in front of you that says exactly what it costs. It's like the costs are hidden until after you've had the service. And then there's this final bill that you have to work through. Another thing with that scenario was um, they called me up just before the procedure and said, hey, do you want to pre pay which you don't really have to do so this was stupid on my part it was like all right yeah sure let's go ahead based on the estimate honestly i forget what the estimate was um so i paid it and it was i don't know four or five hundred dollars more than the final bill was 
So I call him like, well, when am I getting my refund? It's been, it was like a month or something. I mean, you know. They just hope you be, don't stick with it. Right. And you better be sure that if it's the other way around that I owe them $500, I'm going to be in collections, you know, in no time, right? Um, they said that their procedure was I needed to request that money officially from them. And, and the, the amount of days I had to wait was like sliding. I think somewhere between 60 and 90 days. And then they had an amount of time in, even in between there to then refund money. Um, so here's, here's a tip as well, I would say for folks, I actually worked in an appeals and grievances as one of the operational areas uh, throughout my career. And if you don't want to deal with their standard process, you tend to get quicker results if you go to like your state representative, because those actually have to be closed um, by the insurers or whoever's handling it. Uh, so <laughs> tend to, typically when those come in and they see that it's from, you know, the office of senator or, or representative, whoever, um, they, they get attention a lot faster. So um, not that I would anybody to be in those kind of situations and hopefully they don't get to that point. But um, if you find yourself in frustrating situation like that, sometimes just going to that third party, you'll get an answer way quicker than some of the runarounds. I've seen the medical industry from two sides and people always ask like, how do you not have medical insurance? I'm like, you got to understand the distrust and all the scenarios I've been placed in where I do distrust them. I mean, at, I, I use it as a joke now, but at one point I went out like when you're sick, you're in a very vulnerable state. Okay. When you don't know what's wrong with you, you're looking to someone to help give you the answers because you want to get the problem fixed as soon as possible. And anything that really happens to you at that moment, you're very fragile as a person mentally. And I remember I was going through something uh, like not going to the bathroom for a while. And I was like, all right, it's been a week and I have not shit. What is happening? So mm -hmm. I went to the doctor, got blood tests run at my local place. And the doctor's like, all right, well, let me do like, you know, he's like, you know, feeling around like on my stomach and stuff, seeing like, like, like constipation, bloating, all those types of things that kind of coincide. And it was, it was uncomfortable for me because I don't like people touching me at all. And I'm a fitness freak. So I have a six pack. So I eat very clean. So me not being able to go to the bathroom, I'm just constantly filled up with all this fucking fiber and all these, you know, vegetables and stuff. So I'm really just uncomfortable. And he's like, okay, he goes, all right, well, like, when's the last time you've gotten a physical? When's the last time you've gotten any of this stuff done? And I'm like, it's been a while. And like, I, I don't think I've ever really gotten a physical, like maybe when I was like 11. I don't ever, mm -hmm. I haven't been to the doctor in like eight years. He's like, okay, okay, okay. Um, and he's like, all right, we'll get into like a gown and, you know, I'm going to check you out everything, make sure everything from like, everything's okay. So he starts going and like, he literally straight up goes up to me, goes, you ever think about doing porn? I was like, hold on a second. What? Not that, not that it matters, but was this the doctor or was it somebody that works in the facility? It, I'm hoping he had a doctor's uniform on and he was the guy that was giving all my doctors and reading my charts. But no, right. I'm pretty sure he was the doctor, um, at least, you know, from what I've gotten from him and from what okay. everybody's telling me. But um, yeah, that was the first thought I had, too. I was like, wait a minute. Did you just steal that uniform? But no, he was like, you ever thought about getting into porn? And like he, I was talking to him like, you know, I'm a fitness freak guy. So me being bloated and not having my six pack or not having this, like I, I take my looks very, very personally um, mm -hmm. and all this type of stuff. I, I worked hard to get what I have. And he goes, I understand. He goes, you ever think about doing porn? So maybe it was like a kind of like a, a comment to tell, like, tell me like I'm not a bad looking dude, which was appreciated kind of the way he like, I guess it was just a little bit blunt. And he goes, yeah, well, I used to do porn before I became a doctor. I was like, hold the fucking phone. You used to do what before you came to the doctor? He goes, yeah, I'm still kind of involved in that industry. I don't do porn anymore, but I know people in that industry still, you know? And I was like, not now, um, but I was like 19 years old at the time when I mm -hmm. turned 26. So I got about five more years until I just decided to hop right into porn. I was like, if I don't have anything by 26, I'll hop right in. <laughs> but I say that and I, I turned that into a joke. And a lot of people are like, there's no way the dude mm -hmm. got arrested recently for like a bunch of shit, like a, a lot of stuff, like a local doctor got arrested for like a lot of stuff. And I was, I knew that guy, but I stopped talking to him because it was just so weird. And I stopped going to him. I just stopped going to the medical industry in general. This is around the same time with John Hopkins. And my buddy's like, your doctor did not ask you to do porn. I was like, he sent me a fucking text message saying it. And I showed my buddy and my buddy's like, no fucking way. I was like, right. He's like, dude, you got to do porn now. I was like, 26, bro. 26. Well, maybe, maybe 
he was just trying to pay for med school at that point. I have no clue, but it was like a freaky scenario. But I tell people like that was a vulnerable state I was in and somebody taking advantage or doing something out of the norm. You know, it was it was a very, very hard and difficult thing I had to go through, but I turned it into a joke. Now it is fun. Like it's got to laugh at back at. But like I said, you're in a vulnerable state when you're very, very hurt. And people want to take advantage of you when you're in a vulnerable state because they can. And I think the other thing to take away from that is doctors are people, you know, at the end of the day and kind of the same things you hear about government, police, exactly. Or like police, police officers, right? Like that, that's a big thing in the news of course, all the time. The government's red, white, and blue. It's meant to be red, white, and blue, but the problem is people run the government and a lot of people that are involved in the government aren't exactly the trustworthy people that you appoint in the first place. Yeah, there's that. And then also just, qualifications in general. So I think at least for the medical world, um, you know, 90%, let's say, are, are doing what they should be doing and trying to do the best for the patients. Like you said before, I mean, most people are getting into it because they want to help people. But at the end of the day, they are still human. There are folks that have flaws. There are people that um, aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. So for folks going into these settings, you know, keep that in mind, at least if something just really doesn't feel right, like if it doesn't pass the sniff test, like something very obvious like this, or just you feel like you need a second opinion that somebody's running more tests than you feel like is necessary or uh, something else is going on. Like, you know, hey, there are other doctors out there. Um, I mean, I know from what I do day to day, they're talking to each other, you know, meaning like one doctor doesn't know every answer for every single thing. So. Um, they're going to be consulting each other and may tell you that somebody else knows more about a particular issue. All that just to be keeping in mind of like, yeah, you need to at least trust your instincts to some amount, um, even though the vast majority um, of the folks in the medical profession are. It's know, always good to kind of bring way. somebody along with you as well, at least a friend or something or a family member, because they can kind of you know, when someone tosses out like, oh, you need to sign this before I do this test on you, you're mm-hmm. going to sign right away. But whoever's with you is going to sit there and want to read through that if they actually care and sit there and be like, hold on a second. It says you're going to be charging him an extra what? And they're like, oh, you're going to charge me more money to get the test on? I thought it was just you needed my signature so you could perform the action. It's like, well, we do. But yeah, there is a bunch of other stuff you didn't really read, which is really beneficial that there's people out there that sort and sit down with people when solving medical insurance and when really taking the time uh, in the medical industry to kind of sit there and be like, hey, man, do you know this is going to happen to you if you do this? Oh, I didn't even know. I was just going to sign. It's like, yeah. Let me help you here trying to figure out this fucking porthole of, you know, questions and guidelines. Yeah. And then that goes back to, like I said, the consumer being caught in the middle because you've got the insurance that's supposed to be paying the bill um, who's not there at that time to say what they will and won't pay for. And then you've got the provider that is telling you to sign or telling you to do whatever it is. And they probably don't really understand what you're covered for. And then you you have like the after effect <laughs> and, and then you're having to deal with both sides. Um, for making sure stuff gets paid and that you're not you know, going bankrupt in the process. I'm pretty sure me and you can talk about the medical industry probably all day, but I do right. want to bring up, you now you have a podcast. Does your podcast focus on the uh, medical industry or does it just focus on a bunch of crazy things in life? I No, it's not just the medical industry. So uh, what I focused on is all things suburbia is what I try to say. And for me, what that means is uh, I used to play in bands uh, through high school and in college. And one of the guys that I played with, um, he wrote a song basically saying suburbia is boring and you know you need to sort of get more into urban life and things like that. So for my own head, it's uh, a rebuttal to that, that, hey, you know, when you're living in the suburbs, it's, it's not all bad, there's things to do. And plus, um, even though, like I said, I, I really tend to focus on finance as one particular area that I'm interested in. I didn't want to just have one particular niche. So I tried to broaden it to presumably the people in my area and presumably other urban areas, um, what their day-to-day issues are, and then bringing folks on to hit as many topics as we possibly can there. So like you mentioned, fitness um, has been one that's been a, a big one so far. And the other thing, like you said, healthcare, we can probably talk about all day, but um, I started my job in healthcare right out of college. So it's been really nice to actually talk to folks in depth about other items <laughs> than, than just this all day long. So it's been really cool with the um, 
health and fitness folks to understand a people that have their own businesses. So um, talk to somebody that uh, runs a triathlon business um, done like I think she's at 30 Ironmans at this point. Uh, and then from there, um, a nutritionist who, you know, as we sort of ran through the do's and don'ts. Um, and one of the byproducts is it's really interesting listening to those folks who are, you know, running a business that is their passion and is what they want to be doing. You can hear it in the way they talk through it. So I've been really, really excited about that. But at any rate, that's what I'm trying to get at as far as the array of topics is, Yes, there's the financial stuff. Um, like I mentioned, we, we did just do one on healthcare, but specifically around how you can manage it with your finances. Um, I have done a couple like retire or a retirement episode. We've got a few more coming because um, I've thought about from time to time actually trying to be a financial planner. But uh, kind of like you, you'd said for the guy trying to sell you the insurance, I feel like a lot of the financial planners can be real salesy, and that's that's not my thing. So uh, I sort of dabble in it rather than actually uh, make that my career. And then another big one has been parenting. Um, yeah, your podcast seems like it's a guideline for people to kind of look for just tips and advice to kind of get them through like, you know, adulthood in a way. It seems like it's aged for more of a younger audience on the factor of a lot of people like my age that don't know a whole lot about parenting, they don't have kids themselves, that don't know a whole lot about the finance industry, places to travel, health and fitness, I do know a lot about. But for like the average everyday person who's kind of growing up and trying to find some like good helpful tips in the world, like how many times do you listen to a podcast on like a history subject or something you're trying to learn more about? Like that's what makes these benefits of podcasting being out there like yours. You have mm -hmm. one that helps people kind of give them information and questions that you get asked, you answer on that. I think that's a wonderful right. concept. Yeah. And actually to your point of, you know, the different podcasts that are out there and trying to learn things, I, I would like to think a lot of people that are starting a show is because you can't quite find exactly the niche that you're looking for. So that was one of the reasons that I went ahead and gave it a shot is because I could get some pieces of like, like parenting, for example, I get certain niches, but not necessarily then travel or, or, um, or especially the entertainment stuff that we hit. Cause I, I think I'm pretty specific with those. Those are sort of just the fun episodes. I'm like, all right, well, if I'm not necessarily getting it, then, uh, then let's just put something out there that at least hits what I'm looking for. And then, yeah, it just has some certain tips, at least as a starting point. First episode of any podcast is like finding what you're going to talk about. My first episode was talking about shitting. So I, you know, <laughs> it was me and my buddy. He works HVAC. I work in a hotel. I talked about going and pooping into every single room on every single floor, making yeah. it my mission during winter. And he talks about like almost getting caught in people's houses going to the bathroom because you, know, you got to go, you got to go. But like where it still goes now, it's it, it totally evolved into something different. It found its kind of niche in a way, but mm -hmm. shit always kind of end up getting brought back into the conversation yeah we started with um do you know the band tool yeah i know the band tool uh so i figured that was that was my sign that i should start a podcast because you know they hadn't put out an album in 13 years and then they finally released one this year so a buddy of mine that's how we connected um he was actually the first guy that i made friends with because our kids were the same age it's like okay that's that's sort of a um, check the box that you're getting older, I guess. But uh, we, we definitely listened to a lot of the same music. And uh, he actually is in the um, broadcasting world. So I said, hey, what do you think if we do this? Just see how it goes and feel it out from there. So so we did. Um, yeah, and actually our, our premise for that was for anybody that didn't know when Tool had put out a new album, which, you know, if you're 13 or younger, you wouldn't necessarily even have remembered anything like that. Um, have you listened to their album? Do you, do you follow that like hard rock music at all? I've listened to a little bit of it. I've, I've mostly listened to what I do now is just listen to podcasts in general. Mm -hmm. I, I find I yeah. stayed out of music because so much of like, you know, besides the original, like, you know, good bands, like I would consider like Tool, just original artists, you know, that actually seem like they're creating emotion in music. I mean, mm -hmm. my family is all in the music industry. Everybody works for a radio station or does something. And it's like, man, it just the stuff that, that gets played nowadays, it doesn't have anything. It's just meant to be a pop hit. It's meant to, because uh, they work in a decibel frequency that's relative to your ears. That's going to cause you to get kind of stuck in your head in a way. 
So they, they found the notes that correlate with that. There's a certain key chords and stuff that create a popular song and create a trend. They're not creating it to last through the ages anymore. They're only creating it to be in the moment for a week or two, be on the number one top charts. The next thing you know, you're done singing Old Town Road. Yeah. Well, that's good for me to hear because I just kind of assume like, all right, whatever, you know, over the hill and whatever my brand of music is, apparently I've hit that point where I can start talking about the good old days because yeah, there's not a lot of new stuff that comes out that I can really latch on to. So it's pretty much like the last few bands that were putting out music when I was in high school and college, I'll practice see if they're putting out a new record and pick that up. And beyond that, I'll actually go back and try to discover bands that I maybe didn't have time for. Um, when I was in high school, like one example is I just knew who Primus was, but I didn't really listen to them all that much then. And actually, they, they were the opener for Tool a few years back. Um, so I grabbed some of their albums or I've always been into some of the, like New York, I think they call it post-hardcore, like Helmet, um, Quicksand, Unsane, some of those bands. So I, I picked up a few. There was a group called Handsome. So they had, I guess we're a super group of those guys. So that, that's worked better for me than, than anything else. Um, as as when I go to a music. thrift store, I'm always buying vinyl records, 25 cents for a vinyl record, man. I'm telling you, just looking at the art on the wall will make you go look up the actual album on YouTube. And next thing you know, I'm listening to fucking meatloaf all from a, <laughs> reading a vinyl record says meatloaf. And it's a dude on a motorcycle flying out of hell with bat wings. I'm like, okay, what is this? Yeah. And it's so funny that it, it seems like listening to music has gone to either one extreme or another where, yeah, you've got vinyl and you're putting, you're, you're going to sit down, I feel like, and listen to that vinyl record, listen very actively, or you've got the other end of the spectrum where you probably you know, got Spotify on or something like that. And it's almost background noise, if anything else. And it doesn't seem like there's any in between anymore. Um, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm pretty much just listening to podcasts uh, at this point. And actually, the same reason I mentioned for starting a podcast is really the same reason I started bands in, in high school and into college. It's like, okay, you know, if there's a certain sound or, or something that I'm wanting to do, might as well do it myself. And even from a growth and entertainment perspective, um, you know, I think it's worth seeing how something works. In this case, like writing songs or going out and actually trying to gig with a band. Um, it is you know more entertaining and i think you learn more than let's say just in this example listening to the same thing or something else i've always tended to want to just try whatever things that that, that catch my eye so um that, that's definitely been the case with what do you find is kind of one of your most uh favorite subjects you guys focus on in your po your podcast a little bit that you've done either so far or ones that you're wanting to do finance i think seems to be one of the more fun ones, just again, I think from the standpoint of I found that I must be an anomaly because I really get into like what you're the, you're the my, fucking guy that audits his parents at like 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? And here's a I'll end this answer with a question for you, because here's an episode that I kind of want to do in that same vein um, is around student loan debt. And I can't say that anybody ever sat me down and said, hey, don't you know, get into debt in. You know, here's the things to be looking for, or even like credit cards. I, I didn't have a credit card until I was in college. I didn't even know you could. I don't even have a credit card, dude. I've got yeah. family members still trying to sign me up for that. You need to build your credit. I'm like, every mm -hmm. person I've ever seen suffers from credit card debt. I don't want that fucking monster in my pocket. I got my debit card, and that's enough. Yeah, and I never even knew that when you got a credit card bill that you were allowed to not pay it for that month. I, honestly, I just didn't know that that was what credit meant. So um, I, I think I would have had a like minor meltdown if I didn't have enough money available, you know, whenever I'm using my credit card. So, like I, said, I don't know where that came from in my personality, but it even stuck with me for my college choice. So luckily, when you hear about the student debt and, you know, all the issues there, and yeah, that's a big um, political talking point at this at this point. I didn't really fall into just because I did. I went to the school that gave me the most money <laughs> um, and they even had frozen tuition. So whatever I started at in my freshman year, um, the, the, whole reason, the whole reason I even decided to go to college was financial aid. It was going to pay for it. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. I guess you need this to get a job. I get my associate's degree. Now I have a choice to go get my bachelor's, which I want to do. Mm -hmm. They give me my counselor sits me down. And he gives me this as a choice. He goes, you can go to Salisbury University 
it's an all white school kind of you're going to feel comfortable you have to pay eight thousand dollars to go there there's a starbucks on campus there's a panera bread listing all the good things how awesome this school is then he's like well you can go to this school for free they'll actually pay you to go but you'll be a minority it's called university of eastern shore i'm like why the fuck wouldn't i go there he goes you're gonna be a minority man you're gonna feel completely uncomfortable i'm like look i have been a minority in my everyday life my whole entire life. I work at a hotel where I'm the only white guy on staff. I will go to that school. You're telling me I can get a free option and they'll pay me to go there. He's like, yeah, but you're not going to feel comfortable. I'm like, nah, I'll take that class, dude. It's all about like getting the education. If you're going to mm -hmm. hold back restriction of race onto a place that you go, that's insane. Yeah. And you know, there's an argument to be made that one of the benefits of college is starting to put yourself in situations where you're uncomfortable and that you need to learn, you need to be able to adapt. So, uh, for I'm example, I'm uncomfortable at a Starbucks because there's too many fucking people, <laughs> many people. talking yeah. on their Bluetooth device and I just want to rip right. it out of your head. Right. Uh, well, yeah, that's, I guess it's probably a don't issue. It's been a while since I've been in a classroom like that where people even have that available uh, to see if they're even paying attention to what's going on. I was one of the first to get into any online classes at all. When I went to go get my master's, same thing. I looked for what the most convenient and most cost-effective option was. This was one of the first schools that was a brick and mortar school, but then they offered um, online classes. And uh, also I could extend it out instead of just, typically it would be a two-year program, but uh, I could extend it out to as much as six years. So I did in the middle and did four because my company offered uh, a decent amount of money to pay for it. And with only restrictions on how much they give me a year rather than how much they would give me for the total degree. So it almost was completely paid for by them. And rather than going to, uh, well, I'll say like a name brand school or, or whatever it's on. And like you said, at the end of the day, it's the education itself. And I think for even the employers, as far as your grades and stuff is concerned, you're basically showing that you have some work ethic and that, you know, you can be self-motivated. Beyond that, as far as the material, you know, to quote like Goodwill Hunting, right? Like, what does he say? A dollar fifty in late charges at the library. I mean, these these are textbooks that you're reading. Yeah, you'll get a good professor here and there that can synthesize it more for you. But basically, the information's available. It's just you know, getting that piece of paper at the end that says, "Hey, I can be self motivated. Hey, I can work hard." Um, I, so, I do. I tell people I I hold my college diploma in my room. It's set up this way. I have my degrees on a wall. I have my ordained minister's license under the United Church of Bacon above my college diploma. Yeah. I spent an hour and a half joining this parody religion. Paid forty five dollars at Maryland Courthouse to get myself ordained, and I hold that above my college diploma. People look at me like that's idiotic. Why would you have that? I'm like because this. Is just a piece of paper and we are living our lives by a piece of paper when it comes to money and when it comes to this entitling me to get a good job which my associate's degree is not even going to get me a good job anymore you need a bachelor's then by the time i get a bachelor's it's going to be a master's i'm like this system is designed for you to bust ass and get nowhere yeah and and also like what do you actually need to prove that you can do whatever job it is that you're looking for? Um, if so I was a I was, business owner, I would hire someone who was passionate about whatever they're getting a job for. Oh, you like video games? I own a video game company. Where's your degrees at? I don't have any, but I can tell you every single game and it's been a major influencer in my life. And they go into the statistics and background graphics of it all. And then I talk to a guy with multiple degrees on graphics, analyzing and stuff. I'm like, so tell me what you want to do for a job. I'll take it or leave it, man. I got my education for it. I'm just, I'm pretty well versed in how to deal with some things, but I don't care really about video games at all. I actually like folklore. It's like, what? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and well, even going back to health insurance for me, I mean, I've found a niche for what I like in it, but yeah, out of school, it's like, well, first check boxes, get a job. <laughs> and then from there you figure out what you are going to do. Actually, um, I went to school for communications and you know, it's, it's what people say, like I had to pick something when I was 17, 18, I liked being in bands, I liked the concept of audio visual, but didn't necessarily know what communications meant. Ended up taking some advertising classes that I liked better and picked up some marketing from there. Uh, but then when it came time to graduate and go on to the first job, um, you know, healthcare is one of those, those industries that 
does have a lot of jobs, continues to hire, especially as there's more regulations going on with it. And so that's where I stuck from there. And, you know, the fact that I'm now doing um, operations and analytics, and that's actually the only reason I went and got my master's is because like, well, somebody's going to figure out that I don't have a full on business degree at some point. So I probably should just go get that um, in case somebody comes behind me and says that's a, now a requirement of my job. So, Once you see uh, that master's on, a, on somebody's resume, the panties drop, man. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but it at least gets me in the door <laughs> to, to, to have some conversations at least anyway. But that was another reason to uh, go, even going back to the podcast and where I was like, well, hey, at least I can say I'm using my communications degree in, in some way by, by starting this up and uh, you know, talk, starting to talk to folks and using the show. So <laughs> I can officially say I'm using my degree sort of in, in some way. Hey, man, I mean, I think podcasting has turned from a way to connect people to everyone like you're saying, you know, it's a bit about having a voice. But, you know, a lot of people aren't hanging out anymore, like with their friends anymore, mostly because life, it becomes a little bit harder once you graduate high school to hang out with your friends a lot, unless you're going to like tell an event or like a wedding or you're going to a bar or something. It seems like the stress of everyday life, you just want to sit at home and be comfortable. But when people like I've talked to so many people that start podcasts, and now they feel like there's a reliant audience, whether it's one or whether it's 1000s that are listening to them, they have a feel a required thing to go to each other's house and do these podcasts, where mm-hmm. it's like, damn, that whole ride there might be like, Oh, shit, I got to do this. But then once you get there, you're having so much fun that you realize, why was I ever complaining about wanting to do this in the first place? I never had a better experience. Yes, definitely. I've experienced the same that when I first started, I hit up a few of my friends and family to say, Hey, you guys can be like a rotating co host group. And, you know, some were more willing than others, but then once I got them to actually do a show, yeah, when they're done, I'm like, okay, this is actually really fun. And it's amazing how much more engaged you need to be in what somebody's saying to you. Because <laughs> the adage of like, you actually need to listen to what's being said so you can respond to it rather than just waiting for the next pause to, you know, put your next point in there. Yeah. And then also, like I've mentioned with the, the health and fitness related episodes, you can hear it in people's voices when they're talking about something that they're really passionate about rather than and their, their day job and not necessarily what they want to be doing. And that passion, I feel like translates, at least for me, when I'm talking to them to get continue to be engaged in what they're talking about and see what they're doing. And um, that's why now, I th- started the podcast, man. When I hear mm-hmm. so many people go into all these different topics and just have a conversation and you click on something, it truly get interested. I mean, you know, dude, I knew nothing about you before coming into this podcast and, you know, seeing you be, talk about something that you're passionate about or, you know, after the job thing and kind of going, but just finding stuff that, you know, very knowledgeable things and seeing the engagement. I can literally like feel you like talking up to the microphone, like, yeah, like, you know, like it's great. <laughs> Great to see that too. I used to do these in person and seeing it in front of me happening and knowing when you hit something that they really resonates with them. It was something that really brought out like like a new double A battery in my back or something where I was felt energized afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now it may eventually work to my detriment because it was with my financial advisor that he mentioned um, that he swims at least two miles every morning at like 5 a.m. And then right after that is when I had the person that had done 30 Ironmans and, you know, probably multiple triathlons in between there uh, and all these other folks that are doing these things. And actually after the fact, so I've run a couple of marathons and I, I ended up doing an episode with um, guys that are, that are PTs and, and do a podcast uh, and we were sharing some of those marathon stories. So something else is nice is when you hear what everybody else is doing to push themselves, um, when you surround yourself with those kinds of folks, um, it really motivates you to do the same thing. Now, I feel like I'm starting to run out of time <laughs> to, to fit everything in because I I guess I have officially not signed up for, there's a marathon in March, um, but I plan to. And I've always said, if I'm going to run another one, I might as well see if I can get a Boston qualifying time, which is easier said than done. So I put that on my plate because I've, you know, been motivated by what I'm hearing other folks do. Um, similarly, I'm a terrible swimmer. That's one of the other reasons I wanted to get a triathlon person in, because I've always been interested in whether or not I could even pull that off. So I have that sort of earmarked for the middle of next year. Hopefully um, the marathon doesn't fill me up into that point. Um, and then even talking about like books, again, this goes back to, to the financial advisor that he was rattling off some of the books he's read. I'm like, 
yeah, man, I really need to fit in, you know, getting up on, on doesn't matter what books, but just getting back into that rhythm of finding some time to read and doing that. Um, and actually the other two is that that translates into parenting as well. Like being very, very mindful of like, when the kids get home and that is kids time uh, you mentioned, you know, again, like people at Starbucks and their phones and so on. And like, especially with kids when you're at home, like be putting your phone away and having the time with them and certainly keeping them away <laughs> from the technology, especially when they're young, like mine are. And yeah, just being present, really being uh, focused on that has been huge. Life definitely sets up a lot of expectations and goals that you try to accomplish. And it's not going to be possible to get every single one down, but you can take out a majority of it when you start realizing that everything like you're saying, like it's all correlating together at some point, like one thing leads to another thing leads to another thing. Oh, it's similar to this thing as well. They all go hand in hand on ways to deal with them. We just need to find an effective process to be able to handle that. I mean, I've worked out every day for seven years now. I have not missed a day. I go on Christmas. I go always to the gym. There's no not going in my head. My car broke down. I fucking walked to the gym. You know, um, I pulled that out of a bullying thing that I had in high school. I've talked about mm -hmm. it multiple times in the podcast, but it's not about, I guess you would say overdoing it. It's not about, you know, doing something, but it's about being persistent and consistency at the most. You know, if you do anything to the best of your ability and give a hundred percent and always kind of make sure you give it your all every time you do anything, whether it's building fucking Ikea furniture, whether it's racing turtles, whatever you want to do. If you find something that you're truly passionate about and you do it a hundred percent, you're only going to get good results from it. Yeah, what is your workout regimen? I had a buddy of mine on who I know is pretty pretty regimented with the gym. Like I think he said right now he goes at five AM. He used to go at like three AM. My every clock day. uh goes around the general span. Usually I block off in my podcast a time from like two to six. Um you can't contact me because I get to the gym usually around like three. Um then I work out and I get home around six. Um usually that's like after I eat and everything too. Uh but I went all around the clock, man. I didn't have a job a few years back during winter. So I was just kind of like working out twice a day, eating, sleeping. So I was constantly recovering all the time, just getting out of the house because it gets boring. And uh, yeah, so I mean, my clock, I, I went from 1 a.m. Like I started going, uh, you know, the past couple of days I've been off I and mean, started going early in the morning. So I've been going from like 8 a.m. to like 10.30, close to 11. And then I end up going back at night doing like a hard, fasted cardio run. But I always work out my muscle groups, whether it's chest day. But I go seven days a week for, every, yeah, for almost seven years now. It's, man, it's, you, you can't split up your muscle groups like a lot of people do, like chest and back. No, I have a chest day. I have an arms day. I have a legs day. I have a back day, a shoulders day. And then it goes cardio day. And then it does, you know, I, I'd go insane with it way more than anybody should. But like I said, there's own afflictions why people get to the spots that they're at. But, you know, a lot of people look at physical fitness and they think that's the way to better yourself. It's not always the choice. It's whatever, you know, I went I think about three years in, my bodybuilding manager told me, he was like, you know, you're working out your physical body, which is already at its point. Like you're, you're, you're good. You don't need to get any farther. You can stop, you know, you can even gain weight if you wanted to. And I was like, but I like the six pack. He's like, why don't you focus on the most important muscle? And I was like, what's that? And he goes, your brain. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I was doing pull-ups, push-ups, and reading books as I was doing them. Like, I mean, it's about expanding your own knowledge too. And then, you know, I found a new hobby as well where the gym is always going to be like checking your phone in the morning. It's, it's always going to be something that's involved in my life. You know what I mean? It's never going to not go out, but I found a better outlet too, to express myself through communication and conversation where I've gained so much knowledge and just through experience and all these, I've done them as, I mean, close to 300 of these things. And I've, I've only learned and learned each and every day, whether someone's opinionated, whether someone thinks this way on a certain subject, the more time you take for conversation, the more knowledge you get if you stay open-minded. It's not about really, I guess, finding a side, but seeing the other person's perspective and always bringing in the other person's perspective as well. Just so you can find that people get to where they're at in life from the decisions in life kind of they've walked yeah i think so because most well even going back to when i was mentioning the three entities for health insurance and 
when you, you know, again, politically, the word villain has been <laughs> thrown around lately. In most cases, that's not where, so nobody's getting up in the morning said, well, I should say nobody. Most people aren't getting up in the morning saying, all right, how can I screw as many people as possible today? And, you know, I'm going to go find this person and just make it a bad day for them. It's usually uh, just different perspectives. Uh, and yeah, finding that common ground and finding um, where people are coming from is usually more beneficial, I think, for the open-minded person than it is for the other person to understand where they're coming from. So I, I totally agree with that. And I also hear you on fitness part of, again, for marathons, um, you know, everybody looks at me like, really, are you still doing, you still want to do something like that? Like, you could just go out and do a 10K or, or something else like that. So um, I don't know, there's something about keeping a goal in front of you um, that also helps. Well, if you set yourself motivated. up, with something that's easily obtainable, it creates mm -hmm. more of a better long-term effect when you're going to do better goal setting. But when you start limiting on what you can do, but when you start limiting stuff like, oh, just do walk a mile instead of doing 10 miles, walk a mile. It's like, yeah, that's baby steps, man. A lot of people, it doesn't work for a lot of people, but also don't ever set unrealistic goals. I'm above the average when it comes to people that are going to go to the gym, okay? I've seen the whole variety of people. I've, you know, this has just been something in my head. I'm probably a very few number of the people that don't ever take a rest day and don't ever miss the gym. They go every day. It's not meant for everyone, but to do something maybe two times a week, one time a week, at least just going there and putting in a little bit of effort, no matter how small, you're only going to see better things about yourself and better result. It's about taking the time and crafting it out to do so. Yeah. And maybe even another thing to take is because for me, I try to do a weightlifting regimen when I can. Um, it's hard for me to stick with one. It's just not really my thing. But uh, that's something else is when you find something that works for you, especially in the health world, um, make sure it's something you can stick with, whether you just need a bunch of variety day over day. So if that's, I don't know, Zumba classes or, or yoga seems to be pretty popular now. Um, or yeah, if you can stick to a straight gym regimen. Um, weight with some cardio in between. Um, that I think is one of the most important <laughs> to, to be able to do because, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of different variations of what, what folks are able to stick with. But burnout is certainly uh, one thing that can be an issue. So you got to find what works. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think it's goes back to people's passion. Whatever uh, results you get, man, are the ones that you create for yourself. I mean, I, every day it's, you know, a lot of people like put up six pack pictures. I do the same, but I just tell people a lot of it's lighting and a lot of it's nutrition. A lot of it doesn't, not really crafted into the gym, but it's about putting in the persistence and effort for change. If you want to do that with your job, if you want to do that with anything, just put in the effort and you will get the results for it. And what is Sorry, I was gonna say, what what is your diet like? Do you keep it pretty much the same every day, or oh, do you try to switch it up all the fucking time, dude? Salads, man. I'm telling you, I've went through the array of spice in my cabinet basically because you're eating bland salads all the time. You start putting like ketchup on them. You start doing <laughs> like I don't eat dressings. I eat very like grilled chicken, fish all the time. If you bring a pizza around me, fuck you. Oh, dude. If as soon as I smelled Domino's pizza crust, and then I found out it's oregano. I started dumping <laughs> oregano all over my salads, makes it taste just like Domino's, you know? Like if I see a pizza, I've been trying to do better with it because I was mm -hmm. eating like a can of tuna for a meal. Like that was it. And I got down. I mean, I'm, I'm still relatively at 3% body fat, but it's not – when you start kind of putting restrictions on yourself in life, it doesn't end up being something you want to keep on doing. So then like eventually I learned to like, oh, have a slice there, have a slice there, just work harder next time or do something like that. It's about crafting out like whatever works for you. I know a lot of people that do bodybuilding and they eat fast food, like something you would never think would you'd want to be doing. But it's like we're all different people. We're all unique individuals, but we think around the same basis. You know, we're very, very similar and we're very, very different. So what works for you is not going to work for somebody else. Right. I tend to be the type that, uh, well, I used to say that uh, if somebody gave me a brick and just said, this will give you all the nutrients you need for a day, I'd be good with that. And at least that way I knew what I was supposed to have. Um, so when I find something that works, for example, I've just been doing smoothies lately for lunch. So that way I can cram in as many vegetables as I possibly can without thinking about it. Um, but if the other stuff is around, yeah, like pizza or snacks in the house, because I actually um, be able to work from home now. So 
if there's anything in our pantry that's snack food, it's not a good situation <laughs> for me to, to have any willpower around. So I find it inspiring when people can eat well, but actually have a little bit of variety so that they can actually stick with it. Because I, I don't, I, I tend to cling to whatever I know is healthy and just do it over and over and over again, which um, can get a little monotonous. Nothing ever worth it is ever easy. I can tell you that for sure. Yeah, yeah, right on. And uh, why do carbs have to be so delicious? Is what I <laughs> continue exactly. to, to ask Dude, myself. I eat my guilty pleasure cereal, so I put cereal on everything. I use it like croutons on my salad, bro. I'll put shredded <laughs> mini wheats on that shit. I don't care. Yeah, I made a joke uh, with a nutrition episode, like you know, being a child of the '80s. I don't know if they still say this in those commercials, but. Um, Part of a complete breakfast was always the way that they would end the cereal uh, advertisements, which is basically translations of like, there's nothing really good in here. It just tastes really good. It just <laughs> so, turns your milk chocolate. And, you know, it's basically <laughs> like you're eating nothing but Halloween candy for breakfast. Yeah, I, I reserve my cereal eating for uh, whenever we do like a week long beach trip. I'll go to Costco and buy one of those big like three bag, you know, Cocoa Krispies, Fruit Loops and apple jacks or something like that and just binge for that week and then the rest of the time i know it's not a good thing to have in the house because uh it's not going to go well it'll be gone before i know it so well greg i really appreciate you doing the podcast man i want to give you here a minute at the end to kind of promote your content dude yeah great and i really appreciate you taking some time to, to let me come on yeah so uh if, if folks are interested in uh checking us out we can be found at suburbanfolk.com uh, my email is greg at suburbanfolk.com and your social media, it's pretty simple. Uh, Twitter is at suburbanfolk. Instagram is at suburbanfolk. So um, yeah, if, if folks want to see this show or I'm sorry, listen to the show, uh, you can get it pretty much everywhere on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, we're hosted by Podbean, um, YouTube. I think we just got on uh, a couple weeks ago. So pretty much anywhere. If you look up Suburban Folk, you should be able to find us and, and definitely reach out. And we're very interested in you know, answering questions. I'm actually considering, and I'll post it on Twitter if we do this or not, but back to that health insurance piece, doing a, a live show either Thursday or Friday. So folks are in the middle of their open enrollment period um, and they have questions about their health insurance, um, may just open up the line and, and be available to answer questions. Well, that, I mean, that says it all. Thanks so much for being on this episode of Out of the Blank and stay tuned for our next episode.